Leaky Bucket of Profits, Episode 6, Build a Strong Marketing Foundation. Welcome to Episode 6 of the podcast series, Leaky Bucket of Profits. Hi, I'm Tony Malik, the author of the book, Leaky Bucket of Profits. And in this series, each episode is dedicated to a chapter of the book, where I cover the strategies and insights in the book, but you don't have to actually read the book. Today's episode is called Build a Strong Marketing Foundation. Now, if you do have a copy of the book, you'll notice that the podcast has a different name than Chapter 6 because, to be honest, the title in the book, Generate More Leads with Marketing, just didn't seem as exciting of a title for a podcast. So I went with Build a Strong Marketing Foundation because I thought it would be a lot more exciting. So let's get on with the show. In chapter 5, in episode 5, the magic profit formula, I talk in that chapter about how increasing leads with marketing is really important to turning a business around or at least increasing uh, as a step to increasing profitability of a company. But for a lot of business owners, marketing is a black hole. It's a nemesis for a lot of small business owners because I think you know we've all at one point or another thrown a bunch of money into it, thinking it's going to make the phone ring or get people walking in the store or get some of those emails coming in, and nothing happens. It's, you know, it's money gone forever, and no wonder why most business owners feel that marketing doesn't work. Well, the fact is, marketing can work very well if it has a strong foundation, and the problem is. The vast majority of small businesses do not have a strong foundation in their marketing program. So we're going to cover what that is and how to build a good foundation. Just like you have a good foundation, you need a good foundation to to build a, a good home or a good building. You need a strong foundation in marketing to have a good program that's going to actually generate leads for you that's going to turn into money. The first thing we, we, we need to recognize is that marketing is not sales and sales is not marketing. There are two different processes. The purpose of marketing is not to directly generate sales. The purpose of marketing is is to generate interest in potential customers and and get them interested enough that they'll take action and reach out to you. And And reach out to you by calling to make an appointment, by walking into your store, by sending you an email to say, hey, I'm, I saw your ad, I'm interested, I, I, I might have a need, but now I need more information. If your marketing gets you to that point, it's done its job. So we're going to talk about how to build your foundation so that, so that we can generate that qualified call. If your phone is ringing and you are getting leads coming in, but you're not generating sales from it, well, one of two things is happening. Either your marketing is attracting the wrong type of customer for your business, or you have a sales conversion problem, which means your sales process is not taking those leads and turning them into sales, which, by the way, will be the subject of, uh, of another episode uh, on chapter seven, based on Chapter 7 of the book. So let's focus on how to generate qualified leads for the business. There are three distinctive steps to building a strong marketing foundation, and here are the three steps. The first one is to identify your ideal client. Some may call that identifying your target market, same thing, but who is it exactly that you are meant to serve and would see the most value in your product? The second one is develop a laser-focused 
marketing message for that client. And the third is get the message out so that it actually reaches your ideal client. So we're going to go through each one of these steps one at a time. In the book, I tell a story about stop marketing zebras. And, and what it really means is don't try to make everybody out there a customer of yours. And the reason why I, I call it stop marketing zebras, well, think about it this way. If you're marketing horses and there was a market out there of people that loved white horses, the purity of a white horse, and, and you wanted to uh, market that horse to them, you'd have a certain strategy and want to reach them. You also might have customers that love black horses. They love the gleaming black of a black horse. They prefer that over a white horse. So what do you do? You, you have people that want one color of a horse, another person that likes another color of a horse. So what some marketers and what a lot of business owners do, they try to come up with a product or a message that appeals to both sides. So they'll, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, let's market zebras because they're black and they're white. What ends up happening though is when you have a message that is trying to, to talk to two different types of customers, the message is usually not going to be strong enough for people who like white horses to get their attention or strong enough for people who like black horses to get their attention. So what ends up happening is neither, neither type of customer are interested because they don't want a black and a white. They want black or white. So we need to understand that when, when it comes to our clients is is let's focus on the clients that, that want to buy or could buy what we have to offer and focus our message on that client rather than trying to capture the whole market with, with a generic message that means nothing to anybody. So how do we identify this ideal client uh, so that we can come up with that laser-focused message? Well, I describe a way and a method in the book in chapter 6, on page 61, I have a diagram. It's uh, figure 6.1, and there's a chart there. So what we want to do is we want to do a little bit of research to figure out what does our ideal client actually look like and actually get to a point where we can describe that person. We can almost describe, it, is, it, is it male or female, or does that matter? Does it go by age? Does it go by uh, their location, their occupation? You know, Are, are these attributes that, that are common amongst your ideal clients. Of course, on the business side of things, it could be size of company, number of employees, the industry they're in, uh, a, a number of different factors. So we need to try to determine, you know, what are the factors that helps determine our ideal client? So in figures 6.1, and, and, and if you don't have a copy of the book with you, uh, you know, just listen along. Uh, if you don't have your own copy at all, I suggest uh, picking up a copy so you can follow along when, when, if, if you're not driving. If you're driving, just listen. But if you're uh, sitting in your office or at home and listening to this, is you know try to follow along in the book. It probably will make a little more sense, but I'll do my best to describe you know what's in the book so you know so that if you don't have it, you can uh, understand what we're how we're how we're going to identify our ideal client. So what I've got is is a chart or you can say a spreadsheet. We're on the on the first column, the you know the left hand column. We're putting you know, in, in this case I'm using a, commer a commercial with a company. So you would have a list of your top twenty customers. So you'd actually would list if it was a company, the top twenty co uh, com companies that you deal with, or if you're in the retail, you can list perhaps the top twenty customers by name if you happen to know their name. And so you start out that with a customer, and then. 
on the following columns of that chart, you, you on the headers, you would list the criteria that, you, that would help identify or could identify if that client, if, if that characteristic is part of your ideal client. So some ideas might be, as I mentioned earlier, say for a company is you'd have a column for number of employees, their sales volume, what area are they in geographically, what industry are they in? Do they have a certain number of salespeople? Do they have their own IT department? So it really depends on the industry you're in, is what are some, what are some of the criteria that might determine whether you're ideal client? And then what you need to do is you need to do some research in each client and, and fill in you know, the box for that column for that client. So a good example might be is if you find out that company A, if company A, for instance, has uh, 10 employees, well, under number of employees, you'd have a column for number of employees and put, you know, 10 employees. If, if company B has 35 employees, you'd put 35 employees there and go all the way through your top 20 customers. And you fill in the blanks as much as you can uh, for each column for each customer. So you might know what their annual sales are, or you might, you know, you'll know where their geographic areas and you fill that in. And what you want to do once you've got this chart filled in, you go down the column and you start to see, is there a lot of commonality between your customers? And a good example might be, you might go down and you might find that, you know, a lot of the, my customers have between 20 to 30 employees. There's maybe one that has 60 and one has five, but there sure seems to be a number of them that has 20 to 30 employees. And especially if about 80% of that top 20 are sharing that number, it's very likely that that's an attribute that helps determine your ideal client. So another thing you might go down there is, and is look at area. So you may think that, you may look and say, you know, 80% of my customers, they're not all in the exact same area, but they sure are in a similar area. Perhaps they're from the same province or the same city uh, or in the, in, in, in the, in the U.S., uh, the same the same state or a tri-state area. So what you're looking for in about 80% of that top 20, is there a common theme of, of where they're located? And you want to do this for all the columns that you, that of all the columns you have based on the criteria and see if about 80% of your customers that are listed share a common bond for that characteristic. Because if they do, it is very likely that that characteristic is tied to whether they're an ideal client or not. So when you go to describe your ideal client, you can now say, my ideal client has 20 to th is a company of 20 to 30 employees. They're in this geographic area. They, they, they're in this type of industry. And now that helps you focus a bit on about, okay, how do I get my mess? What's my message and how do I get that out? We're going to talk about that in a minute. If you're dealing in the residential market, you would do something similar. Again, you would have the on the left side, the names of your customers, uh, the actual names of the customers, uh, the area, the city they're in. Uh, again, if you can get that information, is that you know you might want to see if there's a commonality about the, their income level, or sometimes look at the card they drive. Sometimes, sometimes, and I say quite often, a person's income quite often is associated with the car they're driving. So, what kind of car or vehicle they're driving? Are they male, female? you know, married, uh, single, all, all, the, all these potential characteristics could help you determine what your ideal client is. And if you go through the same exercise I just described with, with a commercial client and look for those patterns, I think you'll be able to 
quite clearly describe who your ideal client is. So dare to declare who you're trying to serve. Now that we have our ideal client identified, the next step, step two in the marketing foundation, is to craft a laser-focused message. Now, let's think about our own lives. We see ads and messages almost, almost by the second, right? It's on TV, it's on the radio, we're driving down the road, it, we see signs and specials going on. We're on the internet, we see all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, Google ads coming up and, and various uh, headlines coming up. It's easy for a message to get lost in the noise. So how do we cut through all that noise with our message so that our ideal client notices it? The key is to have it specifically the key is to have it specifically designed so that it's relevant to them. I'm sure you have situations where you were reading a newspaper or watching TV or driving down the street, and all of a sudden, despite all the noise, something catches your attention. Perhaps you were thinking about going on a vacation, and all of a sudden an ad comes up advertising you know, a week holiday in Hawaii or Mexico. Because it was relevant to you, you stopped and listened or looked. So that's what we need to do with our clients is understand what they're looking for in their lives and have a message that will get, literally stop them in their tracks. So here's how we do that. There's a book called Jumpstart Your Business Brain by Doug Hall. And in his book, he talks about the three ingredients of creating a marketing message that will, that will get action. So here's the three ingredients. The three ingredients, first of all, the message has to communicate an overt benefit. The second ingredient, it has to provide a real reason to believe. And the third ingredient is it needs to portray a dramatic difference. Let's start with an overt benefit. Before we talk about an overt benefit, let's, let's be sure we all understand what a benefit is. We might have heard of features and benefits. Perhaps when a salesperson's talking, or you might have heard that in, in a business talk, features and benefits. What a feature is, is strictly a description of what an attribute is. An exa good example might be automatic braking system in a vehicle. The feature is, it's an automatic braking system. You're just identifying what the feature is. That's a feature. A benefit is stating what that benefit or feature will, or so what that feature will do for the customer if they use it. So the feature being an automatic braking system, the benefit is it will help stop the car in case you forget to hit the brake. So you can see the difference. We have a statement of what an attribute is. We have then, then what it does, but the real benefit is the net outcome that you get from using that product. An overt benefit is a benefit, I guess you could say on steroids. It's a statement of the most extreme or the most value that a client will get out of using your product or service. And it appeals to a real emotional response from the customer. So an over-benefit might say something with the automatic braking system is it stops the car preventing an accident to protect what's really important in life. Another example might be an ad for a cleaning product. Sometimes we hear ads or we've seen ads that says, use this cleaner, it'll save you time and money. 
Well, saving the time and money is a benefit, but an over-benefit might say something like, use our cleaning product, start cleaning by 9 a.m. and be on the golf course by 11. Now, there's a lot of people out there that can associate wanting to, to get it done quickly and knowing that if they use this product, they'll get to do what they love to do that much quicker. So that's what an over-benefit does. It appeals to the emotion of our ideal client so we can trigger a response and, and for them to take action. Something you'll find useful is if you make a list of all the features of your product, so you know, all the various attributes that you feel that makes your product different, and then start really thinking about what's the overt benefit for that feature. And to do that, we really need to understand you know, the psychographics of our customer and what a psychographic it is compared to demographic. We might have heard of demographic. It is basically a statement of fact, right? It's the things that we heard of earlier, the potential age, location, income level, occupations. Those are, those are demographics. Psychographics is about understanding what's going on in the lives of our customers and what's kind of what, what's worrying them, what keeps them up late at night. And if we can understand what's going on in the life of our customers and how our product or serv our service fits into their lives, it's much easier to come up with that over-benefit because that's the emotion that we're trying to solve for them. So give it a try. Uh, it takes some practice. It's not easy because you're really having to dig deep down and think about emotions versus fact. And maybe get some help, get some outside help uh, from people that maybe can think outside the box for you uh, because those answers aren't always obvious. And getting outside help can sometimes uh, uh, just trigger some ideas that may go, that's the, that's the emotion we need to appeal to in our marketing message. The second ingredient of a laser-focused marketing message is to have to communicate a real reason to believe. I'm sure we all have stories where we've responded to an ad or, or a promise that we're going to get a great product or great service and it doesn't come or it, doesn't, it just wasn't as delivered. In the book, I tell a kind of a story about when I was a kid. I was reading comic books and there was this ad in there that talked about learn how to be a ventriloquist, learn how to throw your voice and have fun with your friends. And I thought, wouldn't that be a lot of fun? So back then, way back then when I was a kid, it, you know, it cost a couple dollars, which was probably worth at least $20 today. And I sent my money in and three or four weeks later, I got the package in and I was all excited to open it up. And all it was was two pieces of metal put together that you would put between your lips that helped, that kept your lips from closing so when you talked, your mouth was always partially open. And we've seen ventriloquists do this, right? When they're talking, their mouth isn't closed. It's always just open just enough so the sound could come through. And I thought, how disappointing. I, I just spent a couple of dollars on a couple pieces of metal when I could have just done this myself. So, you know, it's those types of situations where we got burned that makes us apprehensive and quite often not believing a lot of what we hear in advertising. So when we make that overt claim about our product and over, or communicating that overt benefit and we get them somewhat excited, remember they're thinking, yeah, well, I haven't I heard this before. So we need to be able to communicate some factual information. This isn't emotional now. This is a factual information that appeals to logic and has a, has that potential client going, you know what? I think I believe that overt benefit. 
So some things that we can talk about are, for instance, giving a guarantee. Uh, you know, your money, your your satisfaction, your money guaranteed. We are so sure that you're going to receive this over benefit. If you don't, here's your money back. So a guarantee is one example. You can make claims that, for instance, uh, 100,000 people have used this or 1,000 people have used our service and we have a 99% customer satisfaction rating. And this all has to be verified information. You just can't say it, but if you can verify this information. So some factual information that that supports your overt claim, a person will say, I think I believe this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this claim seriously. So that's a key thing is to give them a real reason to believe with some factual information that supports your claim. The third ingredient of a laser-focused message, it needs to convey a dramatic difference. So if your product or service sounds the same as everyone else, why should they buy your product? Maybe the other product is less money. Uh, maybe they're already using your competitor's product and they don't see any reason to change. So we need to convey a dramatic difference that they could say, oh, this could really improve my, you know, my life or make things easier for me uh, compared to what I'm using right now. There are four categories that your product and service can fall into when it comes to conveying a dramatic difference. And the four differences they could be are speed, convenience, quality, or price. So does your product, for instance, is it designed that a client that needs to get it quickly can get it quicker than your competition? And and how do they do that? So so you're, you, you may have designed that into your product. The other thing, for instance, is, is convenience. Do you have an offering? Is your offer, compared to your competition, making it easier to get your product or service? So perhaps instead of running down to a store, you've got online ordering and they could just go to a website and you enter some information and it comes to your door. You don't have to actually go down and get it. The other is quality. So perhaps you have found a way to make a better quality product that solves a problem that's already happening in the marketplace. And a good example might be is if there's a product out there that people usually have to rebuy every six months, perhaps you've come up with a way that a product will last a year. And by the way, you could probably charge a lot more for it, but people will like the idea that they're getting a better quality product that will last longer. They don't have to buy as often. And of course, price it could be a dramatic difference as well because you may have come up with a way of delivering a product or service, a high quality product or service for less money because of perhaps some inefficiencies that you have or a special process that you've designed that allows that to happen quickly. Here are a couple of examples of, of some industries that were able to create a dramatic difference in their product. A good one is the telecommunications industry. You know, there was a day where I'm sure we all had that experience. We needed a phone line added or a phone fixed or the internet installed. And they would say, okay, we'll be there next Tuesday. And we'd say, well, what time on Tuesday? And they would say, oh, we don't know that now. You just have to be home all day. Well, that is terribly inconvenient for us. And after a while, the industry recognized how inconvenient it was. And, and, and some companies says, you know what? We could really take a lot of business from our customers if we offered our service in a way that our clients wanted to receive it. So what they started offering was two-hour windows. So instead of saying, we'll be there sometime on Tuesday, they would say, well, we can be there from 8 to 10 
10 to 12, 12 to 2, 2 to 4. And they would allow that to be narrowed down so you could choose your time window. And now it was up to them to meet that requirement or that expectation. But now if, if, if they delivered and they said they'd be there from 10 to 2, well, you could go do something till 10, be at home from 10 to 2, and then perhaps go back to work or do whatever else you were doing. But they were addressing something that wasn't being done in the industry, and they came up with a dramatic difference. And it was quite successful in gaining a lot of new customers. A dramatic difference that Amazon offers is their quick delivery. Earlier on in the days of, of the internet, when we had online, when people were ordering online, we'd have to wait, you know, usually days or weeks to get a product. So there was where you can walk down to a store, pick up what you need and have it that day. We always had to live with that sort of, you know, that, that delivery time frame. Well, what Amazon's done, they, they, again, they've recognized that there was a, a need in the marketplace. So they come up with a dramatic difference that it took a while for a lot of companies to catch up with. And even then, they may not have caught up with it. Is, for instance, same-day delivery. You can actually order something online. And depends on where you live, you could get it the same day or next day. So having that ultra-fast delivery, and quite often for a very reasonable price, or depends on your customer category for no extra cost, you could get delivered in a very quick uh, time frame. So that's a dramatic difference that was being offered that wasn't being offered by a lot of other companies that, that really allowed them to capture the marketplace. So what are your dramatic differences? You may think, well, you know, we're just a plumbing company or a contractor or, or a certain type of manufacturer. But what I have found in my own business coaching practice is every company does have a dramatic difference, but they may not realize it is a dramatic difference. They just may take what they do for granted. So think about some of the things that, that you're doing and really look at your marketplace and say, is our competition really doing this? And what you just may have to do, you may not even have to change how you do business, but you just, in your marketing message, really emphasize that, that dramatic difference you're already offering in your, in, your, in your marketing message so people are aware of it. Because when people become aware of it, you're much more likely to get that response from them. So now that we've dared to declare who our ideal client is, we've developed a laser-focused message that will catch the attention of our ideal client. The third step now, and the third part of the foundation of, of a powerful marketing program is to get the message out. And that's sometimes the tough part because where do you, how do you get the message out? Where do you go? There's so many options out there. It, it really can get confusing. So here's a few rules of thumb to follow. First of all, by knowing our ideal client, we should hopefully also know a few things. Uh, we should know, for instance, you know, where do they live and work? Where do they congregate? Is there a common denominator, for instance, do your clients, our ideal clients belong to certain associations? to certain clubs? Do they participate in certain activities? Uh, you know, a good example might be golfing. If you find out a lot of your clients golf, well, perhaps working, doing some marketing with golf courses might be an opportunity to reach them, even though they're not tech, usually using your product at a golf course. But you want you want to use a media that that will have give exposure to your product and service at, at a time when your customer is ready to receive it. You also might want to look at, you know, do they read certain newspapers? Are there certain magazines they read? Do they listen to certain radio shows? 
are they on social media? You know, there's a lot of demographics out there that are on social media. Others aren't on social media so much. I know there's certain business owners I deal with, or certain category business owners that are not really on social media. They just don't participate where other types of customers, they are on social media. Even even from a professional basis, they may personally, personally, personally be on social media, but you may be able to reach them through that sort of personal space versus reaching them at work if you're happening to be a business to business. So there's a lot of ways to reach the client. We can't afford or and it's not going to be cost effective to go to all of them. So we need to understand our, our client and where are they most likely to see our message. What we're marketing can get really expensive and reduce your return on investment. For instance, if, if your clients are in a certain geographic area, for instance, a certain community within a city, and you use an advertising media that that advertises through the whole city instead of a certain area of the city, you're going to be paying a lot of money for exposure to people who probably will very unlikely be to use your product or service. So it's to find those medias, find those pro types of advertising products out there that allow you to reach your potential clients for the least amount of money. Now, online marketing, we can't we can't have a, an, an episode like this without talking about online marketing. Online marketing has been the game changer. Uh, it, you know, it's honestly replaced uh, the, the yellow pages out there, uh, it, yellow pages or various phone books that are out there. What one of the things that online marketing allows you to do, it really allows you to target because, for instance, Google AdWords, even Facebook AdWords, and some other media's out there, they have enough data on the people that are using their service now that you can say. I want my ads to be shown to, you know, a, a female that's at a, in a certain age bracket in a certain area of the city that even has certain interests, and your ad will show up to only those people, and you only pay for the exposure to when your ad is shown in front of your potentially ideal client. So online marketing can really become affordable to small businesses because you only have to pay for the exposure to, to when you when your ad is showing up in front of the person you need it to show up to. So if you're not doing online marketing, I would heavily recommend it. Look into it. Talk to an expert that, that does it and see if, if they a program could be put together to get your marketing message out to your ideal client. It takes a lot of discipline to market cost effectively. I've seen I've seen situations where business owners Almost every time a marketing opportunity or advertising opportunity is presented to them, they take advantage of it, hoping, hoping that this will be the one that brings in a whole bunch of customers. And I can tell you that more often than not, they end up hugely disappointed. So there's a section in the book I call Beware of Space Sellers. So when you're out trying to figure out the various medias to work with, is you'll find there's, a, there's, a, there's some very professional marketing people out there that will be very honest with you as to whether their media or their marketing product is a good fit for you. But there's also a lot out there that they just want to sell space. They just want to make money and they will find a way to convince you that their media is going to be great for your business when they don't even know anything about your business. So uh, just a few a bit of advice on how you can try to reduce your chance of kind of getting burnt by, you know, by, by marketing. The fact is, you know who your ideal client is. So when a, 
a marketing salesperson or a marketing professional comes to you and, and says they have a media that they think you should be marketing through, ask them what the target market of their media is. And I can tell you that it doesn't matter whether it's newspaper or television, radio, or various online platforms, they know who their audience is. They know who the target market of the media is and get them to tell you. If they are hesitant or don't want to tell you who their who the target audience is, I always say run for the hills because they're they're going to find some way of convincing you to still advertise with them, hopefully that some hoping that something sticks to the wall. So ask them for their target market and then you can decide if their target market matches your target market. So a good question to ask is when they say they have this great advertising media, ask them, who is their ideal client? I sometimes like to have fun with advertising salespeople. Quite often, obviously, they want to sell you a subscription or, or you know, a certain amount of money for ad, hundreds or thousand dollars for an ad on, on, on a media. And they'll tell you it's going to reach, you know, 10,000 or 100,000 people. And, and, and all you can think about is all the business you're going to get for it. And all of a sudden, you know, again, the ad goes out and you get little to no response. And when you ask about results and, well, what kind of results can I expect? Quite often the response is, well, you know, it's more about just getting your name out. I always have an issue with that because marketing should be measured, results should be measured, and a good marketing program should measure the results of every marketing strategy. So when somebody says, well, it's just about getting your name out there, we can't really measure performance. Quite often that's just a way of them trying to get away from being accountable for the effectiveness of their marketing, right? Just spend the money, get your name out there, and I'm sure the business will come in. Well, that usually does not happen. So so be aware of when you hear that. Sometimes I like to have fun with some of these people and say, I'll tell you what, what if instead of paying you a fixed amount for all this exposure, I paid you very handsomely for every sale I make because of your advertising so that if your if your media is so good, you will make a lot more money from me by paying for success than you would just me giving you a flat fee. I have yet to see an advertising salesperson take me up on that offer. So that's a bit of a sign to to uh, take it. Sometimes of what we hear with a bit of grain of salt. I know there's going to be a lot. Might be some marketing professionals listening to this, but. I think we know the game. I've been a victim of myself in marketing and, I, and I've learned my lessons and I'm trying to pass on the same to you. So that's how you put together a powerful marketing foundation is first of all, you need to dare to declare your ideal client, create a laser focused message and get that message out to your clients in the most efficient way. If you follow those three rules, I am confident you'll find that your marketing dollar will go a lot further and it'll actually have a very positive effect on your business. So I hope now that you, with this information that marketing will no longer be a black hole for you or that nemesis where it's just a bottomless pit of money, that your marketing can now become a true investment that does pay back many times over. If you have any questions or comment about this podcast, always feel free to send me an email at tony at empoweredbusiness.ca or through my website at empoweredbusiness.ca. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to seeing you at an episode in the very near future. It's Tony Malik, the author of Leaky Bucket of Profits. Mm-hmm.